0: Them because everyone's going to have the same book. and It'll be hard to know whose book it is unless you've got your name on the outside. We've got some of our regulars not here tonight, but they'll, they'll, uh, catch up with us and might be even listening tonight. Uh, but we're in lesson one, page five. And if you want to do the background reading ahead of time, this is normally something I would give in Sunday school. And, uh, I just decided that we're going to do this on Wednesday night. And, uh, and uh it's it's a book about the issues of life and these are just things that you're going to hear about in church sooner or later these are going to be things that you're going to need to know and uh, you're going to need to uh, know where you what you believe about them and this first one is probably one of the most important anybody not get one that wanted one because I've got some for everybody so if you need one let me know if, if you're a couple and you both want one that's fine as long as you're both going to you need it and use it so I don't mind so Gene wants Larry to have one so Josh give one to Mr. Matheson anybody else Aria anybody else all right all I ask is that you keep it with your Bible bring it with you every Wednesday night and uh, we'll be going through this one at a time can eternal life be a present possession this is a big question A lot of people that aren't aware of eternal life, and and especially a present possession. Because if you're a Catholic, I think eternal life is your goal, but it's never something you know for sure you have. But did you know that if you're saved tonight, you already have eternal life? In fact, if you're saved tonight, you are already eternal. You don't look very eternal, and neither do I. But the inside you that's on the inside is eternal. You're saved. You're born again. You're on your way to heaven and it can't change. And so you don't get eternal life when you die. A lot of times when you see a, a, a grave marker, a gravestone, you'll see a birth date and a dash and a death date. And sometimes it will say, entered into eternal life and it will give the death date. That's not really true because they actually entered into eternal life. If they entered into eternal life, they entered into it on the day they got saved. So our eternal life begins the day we got saved. I mean, didn't you get born again? So that that's the beginning of your new life was the day you got saved. So can it be a present possession? And is there such a thing as eternity, eternal life? So 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11, and I talked without getting there, so let me get there. 1 John 5 verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So you can know it now. This is a great passage for you to go to, especially to someone like a Catholic who has always taught that you can never know. Uh, Mr. Adams is not here tonight. He he was raised Catholic, and he said that that was the one thing that really was so important to him and such a difference than what he had been taught before, and that is the assurance of your salvation that you can know that you're saved and on your way to heaven. So eternal life, we do not enter it when we die. We enter eternal life the moment we trust Christ as Savior. And so I want you to look at some things that are eternal according to the Word of God. John chapter 10, we're in 1 John, we go to regular John chapter 10. These are just different places where we can be assured that we have eternal life. John chapter 10 and verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand and so jesus is giving you the guarantee of eternal life based on his power and his father's power which is a pretty good guarantee We have eternal life because of him being the shepherd and him giving us eternal life. But not only do we have eternal life, if you're saved, you don't just have eternal life that starts the day you got saved. But you have an eternal God. We we serve and we follow an eternal God. Deuteronomy chapter number 33. And so Deuteronomy 33, let me get there quick. And I'm just going to go to these verses quickly. But Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. It says, the eternal God. Is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. We have an eternal God. No good having eternal life if the person who gave it to you isn't going to be around, right? It's kind of like my my uh, Sears catalog warranties. You know, Sears isn't around anymore. Uh, it, 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 it's not such a guarantee if the person who guaranteed it can't stay around. But we have an eternal God. Therefore, I have no problem believing we can have eternal life. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. They're just going quickly here, but Romans one twenty it says, For the invisible things of, of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Through God, there is an eternal power. And we understand that God has eternal power. And I know sometimes the phrase is used, the old man upstairs. Listen, that is wrong to say that about God. God is not the old man upstairs. God is just the same as he was the day he created the world. He's not getting old or ancient at all. He doesn't have a long white beard and looks frail. And he is the eternal power and Godhead. And then not only that, but there's an eternal house 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, verse number 1 talks about our eternal house. Praise the Lord for that. And so 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house, that be the one you're looking at right now. You said, Pastor, I just do not like to look at you. You're hard to look at. Well, good news. This is only the temporary house. I get a new one. For we, if we know that our earthly house house of this tabernacle be dissolved we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens there's a new house an eternal house an eternal family and we are part of that eternal house in heaven and that eternal family of God and here's really exciting thing here's something exciting Ephesians chapter 3 Ephesians chapter 3 not only are we saved for eternity which is awesome but Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 10 it says To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places that might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is an eternal purpose. Praise God there is an eternal purpose. You know some things served a purpose for a time. But it's discouraging and depressing when you realize that maybe you've outlived your purpose and some people commit suicide when they think they've outlived their purpose. Thankfully, as a Christian, there is an eternal purpose. There's a purpose that never goes by the wayside or becomes old-fashioned. We have an eternal purpose, and that purpose is to uh, manifest Christ through the church and to be, give him glory. And so the eternal purpose, uh, a purpose in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we are headed for eternal glory. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And verse 10, lots of eternals in the Bible. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. There is just gonna be eternity of glory. Eternal glory in heaven. It'll just never wear out. Every day will be a new day and every day will be giving glory to God. Every day. And then there's another one, Jude chapter seven. Jude, that's that little tiny book, one page, right before the Bible ends Jude one verse seven says, "Even as Sodom, and Gomorrah, and the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, and set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire." There's an eternal fire. I'm thankful I don't get to be a part of that. If you're saved, you don't got to be a part of the eternal fire. Some people think that hell's going to last for a long time. No, they're wrong. It's going to last for eternity. It's not going to last for a long time. It's going to last forever. There's eternal fire. If there's an eternal God and eternal life, then there has to be an eternal death. Some people don't realize this, but even the people in hell still exist. They don't die and annihilate. They don't stop. They just stay eternally dead. And it's the everlasting fire. All right. That's that's horrible. As wonderful as eternal life is, eternal fire is horrible. For those who have placed their faith in Christ, in Christ eternal life is a present possession, as we've said already. John 3.36 and John 5.24 say that, and I'm going to read those to you as well. Some say this is a dangerous teaching. Why would some say, That teaching that once you're saved, you're always saved for eternity is dangerous. Why would someone say that? Sam? Yeah, they would say, well, if you teach that, then you're going to teach people that they can just be whatever they want to be. Well, I'll I'll just give a counter answer to that and say, what do you mean? You have to live it in order to stay saved? Because that isn't salvation. If you've got to live something. Alright, so if it's really a gift, it should be free. Secondly, the Bible does not teach that once you're saved, you can just do whatever you want. We'll see that in a minute. But in John chapter 3 and verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John five twenty-four says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. When you read those two verses, you know what you get the impression? That we we really haven't seen life yet. We really haven't seen what life is like. God is life. Jesus is life. And we haven't even fully seen or comprehended him. And so really, honestly, we don't really start living fully until we enter heaven because that's, that's life eternal. But here we are with this glimpse of life that we have through salvation. We have this understanding of life and we get, we get to uh, the entrance of his words, give life and gives understanding to the simple. And uh, as Joseph's quoted the other day, the path of the just uh, shines more and more into the perfect day. We just, it gets brighter and brighter as we go. And you know what? The opposite is true of the world. The world's life is getting darker and darker. What little life they thought they had, they're losing. And as Adrian Rogers has said many times, I've heard him say it, <clears throat> you're closer to your death today than you've ever been. You're having a near-death experience right now. If you're not saved, you're closer to death than you've ever been. Because you are not on your way to heaven, you're on your way to hell. And so every human being is getting older, and if they're not saved, they're getting more deader every day. But those of us who have life, we have it for eternity. Some say this is dangerous teaching. They say it leads to believers to think that they can live in sin. However, God's word shows us that this is not a dangerous doctrine, but a blessed truth. Now, let me just stop and say something. If you teach someone that they're saved and they're not saved and they just go off and do their own thing, that is dangerous because they've got a false salvation hope and they're going to, they're going to, you know, they're just banking on that. They prayed some prayer or something, Listen, salvation is as simple as praying a prayer. However, salvation isn't just someone praying a prayer. It is a belief and trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are born again, you are born into God's family. And God's family has different treatment as we'll see in a minute. So God's word shows us that this is not a dangerous doctrine. It's a blessed truth. Remember, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Not all the sheep hear his voice, but his sheep hear his voice. The lost sheep don't hear his voice. So, with that, we go to the next page on page six. If you're saved, you are a new creature. We are new creatures. Second Corinthians 5 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you're saved, then there's a desire to please the Lord and to live right because God has changed your life. There's a new creature, there's a desire. When my father got saved, he didn't know what to do, but he knew what to do because something inside of him gave him a desire to do things he didn't do before. He wanted to pray. He wanted to talk to God. He wanted to learn. He he wanted to know, what am I supposed to do next? The unsaved man doesn't want to know that. The unsaved man has no interest in finding out what God wants. He just wants to do his own thing. But a new creature has a new desire and a changed life is starting to happen. And uh, he's made us who are saved new creatures. Who changes our desires? God does. God did when he came to abide in us. And uh, when a person trusts Christ as a savior, he becomes a new creature. We find that Christ can enable us by his eternal power to live a life that glorifies him. That's like the preacher was saying on Sunday. If you come to the end of yourself and say, I can't do this, that's good because you're right. You can't. We can't. But the Holy Spirit of God gives gives us the ability and the life and the enablement to do what we couldn't use, used to do before. We could not do before. We had nobility on our own. The drunk says, well, I could never sober up and be a Christian. Well, on his own he can't, but through Christ he can, and through Christ he will, and he can have a changed life, and there's a new creature. There's such a great evidence of salvation when you see an obvious change in someone and they're new creatures. They're just different from what they used to be. It's not dangerous to teach that we have eternal life because we are new creatures when we have eternal life. And I, I, again, I, be careful that, that you don't give your children or anyone the false assumption that they're saved until it's obvious it should be obvious to them. There's something there. There's something real here. There's something that's different. I, I'm in a, on a different direction. I'm a new creature in Christ. And so one of the blessings of being born again is that we are new creatures. I, as a parent, am not satisfied that my children obey when they know that I want them to. I'm satisfied when I know that my children obey when I'm not around. When they know that their heavenly father wants them to. When they have... A a respect for their heavenly father that's different than just their father. It's a real concern for me if the only time my kids, and they're, I mean, they're past high school age now. And the only time that they're interested in in doing the right thing is if they know it's going to bother me. Okay? That's a problem. Because children have a father. We're going to get that in a minute. We have a new motive. 2 Corinthians 5.14. We have a new motive. And uh, I can quote this, the love of Christ constraineth us. There's a new motive. As believers, our motive is the love of Christ. Uh, When we consider what the Lord Jesus has done for us, we want to serve him, to love him, to live for him. We are constrained by his love to live a life that is pleasing to him. I like what someone said. It's in a song actually, but it goes like this. I've already decided his will is my choice. In other words, dear God, what is your will for me? That's fine to pray that. But a better prayer is, dear God, whatever your will is, I've decided that's my will too. And we have a new motive. The love of Christ constraineth me. I, I'm going to please him. I just want to serve him. And, and the heart that is soft and tender says, what does God want me to do? That's what I want to do. What am I supposed to do next? I remember one young man got saved 25 years ago. I led him to the Lord. And the, as soon as he, we were done praying, And he was done praying. He said, what do I do now? There's just something. What do I do now? What, What should I do? What am I supposed to do? There's a motive there, a desire. What does God want me to do now? We're new creatures. We have a new motive. And then here's one I think is a big one concerning eternal life. We have a new father. Another reason that the doctrine of eternal life is not dangerous is that we have a new father. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 12. I know people don't like this, but I'm going to tell you right now that God is not everybody's father. There are a lot of people out there that think God's their father and he's not. You know what it says in 1 John? If you deny the son, you don't have the father. Well, there's a whole bunch of people that deny Jesus Christ. They don't have the father. They might think they do, but they don't. There's a whole bunch of people that think that they're Christians, but God doesn't know them. Matthew seven says he'll say I never knew you. Not everybody is God's father. Everybody is God's creation. Every human being was created by God, but that doesn't mean God is everybody's father. They're not. They're not His children, and He's not their father until they are born again, adopted into God's family. And that's why uh, Catholicism uh, is wrong when, when they teach everybody to memorize these words, our Father which art in heaven. How, now, it's not wrong to memorize those words. They're good words. They're the Bible. They're God's word. In fact, it's a, it's a good model prayer to base how to pray off of. And number one is, he's got to be your father. Before you can pray to him, he's got to be your father. And it doesn't do any good to fake it. It doesn't do any good to teach someone to memorize words when he's not their father. Because then he's, they're calling him father when he's not. It'd be really weird. It'd be really weird if Aaliyah went up to somebody else and said, hello, father. Because Treg is her father, not anybody else. And it would be really weird if anybody came up to me and called me father when you're not my kids. And it's just wrong when we teach people to memorize words and then that's going to make them okay. That's not how it works. But when you are saved, and you are born again, and you are adopted into God's family, then you do have a metal as a father. Hebrews chapter 12, let's read it. Verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin, and ye ye have forgotten the exhortation that speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So that's a real good sign if God's giving you spankings all the time. If you're worried about your salvation, am I truly saved? I wonder if I'm saved or not. Let me tell you right now, one of the greatest things about your salvation is, is you got a dad who's going to give you spankings. And you're like, no, that doesn't sound good. I don't like a dad to give. Elia just looked at her dad like, ugh. No, that's a good dad. A good dad gives spankings. A good dad is there. A, A good dad cares to give spankings. And the one, of the one of the greatest blessings of my life is knowing that my Heavenly Father cares enough to spank me. And everybody who understands this is saying, Amen, because I needed those spankings. Because without those spankings, i do my own thing. So there's the answer to the people who say, uh, You teach that eternal security and eternal life stuff. You're just going to teach. No, no, no. Because there's a Heavenly Father that won't let us get away with that. Oh, He's not spanking me because because I'm no longer his child he's spanking me because I am his child he's not taking salvation back and saying oh you don't get it anymore no no instead he's saying you're my son and I can't tolerate that in you and so I'm going to spank you that's exactly what good parenting is I love you but I don't love you so much that I'm going to spoil you no no no. I'm going to spank you so that you will not be spoiled so that you will be what you're supposed to be that's what the father does And if you're saved, he's doing that. And if you're not saved, he's not doing that. That's why I have to say this. His spankings are a blessing. At the time, they're not great because nobody likes getting in trouble. But honestly, his spankings are a blessing. They're wonderful. And it says this, verse 7. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you with sons. But, verse 8 says, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. If you don't get spanked, you're not a son. That's why that's a bad word. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection of the Father of spirits and live, for they have verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure? In other words, uh, let's be honest, sometimes our parents didn't really chasten us all the time for the right reason even, but he for our prophet that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it does a great thing for us. We have a new father. Wonderful thing about our eternal life is that we get an eternal father. And that chastening is something that's good for us. And our chastening. Is a, is a reminder, it's an encouragement. Can I tell you something? I've actually prayed this before. God, I don't want you to leave me alone. I want you to pay attention to me. I want you to spank me. I need it. Please don't let me just drift and do my own thing. Please, Lord, be close enough to me and 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 give me that stern look or that whatever I need to be chastened by you spanking, whatever it might be. His children can't sin and get away with it. There's a, a passage, and you don't need to turn there, but Psalm 73, you can write this down if you want. In Psalm 73, it's the whole chapter is written by a guy named Asaph. And here's how Psalm 73 goes. Basically, here's how it goes. The wicked get away with everything, and I don't. It just doesn't seem fair because they get away with all kinds of stuff and I don't. And then all of a sudden you get towards the end of the chapter and Asaph says, until I saw the end of the wicked, until I realized where they're going, and then I realized the difference. And Asaph realized he was actually better off. God spanks his own, but not necessarily all of humankind. If you weren't saved and God got your attention so that you would turn to him, that was a grace. But God does deal with his own. And you need to pray if you've got unsaved loved ones that God would just in his mercy and grace get their attention. But I can tell you this, if you're saved, he's already going to do that because that's what his job is as a father. And he's going to work on you. He'll not allow us to live as we please. That's the answer when people try to make that argument. He won't allow us to live as we please. And if they're faking it and they're not really saved, then obviously he's not their father. He'll chase us because we are part of his family. And so we have we have a new creation and we have a motive, a new motive because of it. We have a, a, a heavenly father, a new father that we didn't have before. And then, not only that, but we have a new judgment Everybody is going to stand before God someday, you know that? But not at the same judgment. Um, Revelation chapter 20 is the great white throne judgment. Let's go there. Notice these people do not refer to God as their father. And God does not refer to them as his children. This is God judging the unsaved world in the end. This is the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be there because that means you're on the wrong side. Revelation chapter 20, and verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those. Notice how they're they're, they're referred to as dead, see? They don't have life. They don't have Jesus. So they're just called the dead. The dead, the unsaved, were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Well, why were they judged according to their works? Because their, their works were never forgiven. They were never born again. So all their record is just wide open. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So all the people who have already died and gone to hell are come, being brought back for this judgment. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake, lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the great white throne judgment. And those who are not saved, that's the judgment they have coming to. But those of us who are saved, we have a different judgment. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're saved, then you have an eternal life, but you also have a different judgment, a new judgment from what the world will face. We're not going to stand before God as the judge. We're going to stand instead before Christ and we're going to answer to him but it will not be for salvation we're already that's already secure 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So we see here that the Christians will have a judgment. And they'll be judged of the work of what sort it is we're already on our way to heaven so we're not going to be judged for works based salvation we're not going to be judged for that but you know after you're saved there's still going to be reward or then judgment for what you did with your salvation and if you if you took the foundation of salvation christ and you built on it wood hay and stubble that weren't that wasn't really eternal material then you'll have nothing but if you build on a gold, silver, precious stone and things that can withstand, then you'll have something. And so it's important that we understand as believers, <clears throat> there's going to be a judgment for us, not for heaven or hell, but for reward of what sort it is, what kind it is, what was our motive behind it? What was the whole thing about and that's called the judgment seat of Christ instead of the great white throne judgment. Romans chapter fourteen ten calls it the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians five ten the judgment seat of Christ. We all stand before, the, those who are saved will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll not be judged for our sin. Did you notice the first song we sang tonight, It Is Well With My Soul? The third verse says, it's a great verse, it says, my sin, dash. What does it say next? Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, dash, So there's a little phrase in there. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, dash. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. How much of your sin was paid for? The whole thing. He was absolutely right when he wrote those words. Your salvation is all complete on the cross. So this judgment seat of Christ is not about your sin for and, and the salvation issue. It's rather, what did you do with your salvation? What did you do with your life you had on earth? What did you do with it? How did you build the rest of the remaining years of your life on earth? My father is an example because I lived with him. And when my dad got saved, I told you, he was excited. He wanted to know more. He wanted to learn more. I'm telling you, before he got saved, and he had a rough life i do not saying a rough life, but he had a, a, an unusual life in that when he was a young man just out of high school, just going into the army, he took a shot to the head. They were playing a game of football, just sandlot, no helmet, no pads. He took a shot straight to his head and boom, he was in a coma for months, not days, months. When he woke up from the coma in the uh, Walter Reed Memorial Hospital, I think it was. When he woke up from the coma, he found himself no longer in the army, but honorably discharged with a disability. Wires hooked up everywhere. Drainage hoses hooked up into his sinuses and all this stuff. And he was just a mess. And, And he lost lots of time. He lost lots of memory. And he did not have what he thought he had when that whole thing happened. I think God spared his life. There were some of his buddies that went over to Vietnam and never came back. There were some that came back without any legs. And God preserved him for whatever reason in that way. But it changed his direction. And so he had to work hard. I got some old letters that he would write to his mother, my grandmother. And he'd have to work hard just to try to remember stuff and try to re-educate himself. So he went to Washington, University of Washington. Then he transferred to Washington State, and he got a, a degree in uh, business and uh, uh, sales and hotel uh, chains and Weston Hotels. Weston owned the Space Needle at one time. And uh, he, he just he was, went in that direction, and he had to work real hard just to remember stuff so he could pass tests. And, uh, and, and, and he just kind of lost a lot of time. And then he worked really, really hard and had seven years of college to finally get this business degree so he could be a salesman. And he was, and he worked in the Space Needle and, and he was very successful. And his personality is very good for sale, sales and sailing. And, and so he just was, he was, became good at it and he transferred, he got more good at it and he'd get transferred to different places. And uh, uh, Preston Robert Tisch, uh, the guy that owned CBS Television before he died and was a postmaster general Actually was my dad's boss at one time. And, when, and, and yet when my dad got saved, and all of this in Seattle, when my dad got saved, seven years of college, all this work, all this effort, and he got saved. And all of a sudden, he had a, his first goal was to be a millionaire. That I'm going to be a millionaire. When I'm 40 years old, I'm going to be a millionaire. And God saved him, and he started to change his desire. By the time my dad was 40 years old, he was a preacher instead of a millionaire. And Robert Tish looked at him and said, you're crazy. Name your price. You can have whatever you want. And my dad said, no, God's called me to do something different. And he did. And not everybody has that same calling. Not everybody's supposed to do that that way. But all I'm saying is, is that he, he said no to the wood, hay, and stubble, and he chose something that was more eternal. I mean, there are people who will never see the light of day, they'll spend the rest of their life behind bars in prison. That my father ended up being a preacher in prison and would lay on his belly and talk to guys through a little hole at the bottom of the wall and they'd get saved. And they had no idea that this guy used to be someone riding around a limousine in Chicago. But you know what? That's eternal reward. And someday people like that will will receive reward for choosing gold, silver, precious stone. And we need to recognize that there's a new judgment. And we are going to stand before God. And if it was a waste of time and it wasn't really what God wanted us to do, we're still going to heaven. But we're going to be tried for what sort it is. Look at it. It says there again in verse 13, number 13 every man's work shall be made manifest talking about the christian for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire that's talk, not talking about hellfire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is and if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon he shall receive a reward but if not it'll be burned so we learn that our works as christians will be tried by what sort or quality it is this speaks of our motives let's do what we do for christ and not to be seen of men Because we do have a new judgment. And then lastly, we have a new freedom. We have a new freedom. We need to recognize that. And I've mentioned it already, but we go to Titus chapter 2. We are free in Christ. Unlike a Catholic or some other religious person, maybe a Muslim, or some other person, like maybe maybe a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, we don't have to keep serving the church in order to keep our salvation. We're not constantly living in fear, hoping we did enough good. It says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. We are paid for already. We are free. He paid for all of our sins. It's hard for us to understand this, but Jesus didn't die for our sins that we've already committed. He died for the sins we haven't even committed yet. He paid for all of our sins. And so we don't have to pay for our sins. If you're a Christian, you don't really pay for your sins. You might be chastened. You might get spanked for them, but you'll not pay for them. Because Jesus already paid for your sin. We have a new freedom because our sin debt was paid in full when Christ died on the cross. The Bible says in Second Corinthians 5.21 that God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, do we, do we still reap what we sow? Absolutely. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We are chastened when we do wrong we are spanked but we are not given the payment for sin because the payment for sin is death and hell galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says be not deceived god is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap for he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption listen i told you a quick story of tom furs let's say tom furs just decided he wasn't going to go serve the lord with his life he no, I don't want to do that. It's too hard. Too much I'm going to give up. I enjoy the comfortable life I have. And I, I want to make millions of dollars. Look, Tom Furze would have died and gone to heaven with that attitude. Yet, he would have reaped to the flesh instead of to the spirit. He, he, he would have kept doing the things that his flesh liked. And I dare say that probably this guy right here might not have ever got saved. Because a Christian dad can reap what he sows by reaping to the flesh and never seeing his family saved. I think one of the great examples in the Bible of a guy who got saved but never did live to the potential of his salvation was Lot. Lot was saved, yet so as by fire. Lot entered heaven smoking. He was saved, but that's it. There was nothing else. He lost everything. Why? Because he reaped what he sowed. Listen, you and I don't have to live that way. We have a freedom. And the devil might crawl on your shoulder and remind you of all the sins you used to have committed and that you are guilty of. But praise the Lord, we have a freedom through salvation. And remind the devil, he's got an eternal damnation. That's what he has. But our sin is paid in full. So how can we sin such a love and freedom? It's kind of like the old slave... That stood on the auction block and was just about to be auctioned off, and the highest bidder at current highest bidder was this horrible, wicked man, who was known to be horrible to his slaves. And a wealthy man, who was very kind-hearted, who didn't need any slaves, saw what was about to happen and outbid him, and took old Joe the slave home as his slave. And boy, was that slave relieved to be purchased by a kind man. And that old slave said, Master, i serve you for the rest of my life. I'm so thankful you bought me. And that, that wealthy, kind Christian man said, I don't want you. I just didn't want him. I don't need you as a slave. You don't need to be my slave. Here. Here's your freedom. You are free. I'm giving you your freedom. And you know what old Joe the slave said? I'm going to serve you anyway. Even though I'm free to go anytime I want, I'm going to serve you anyway. That's a story. But I can tell you a true story, and that is Robert E. Lee had a slave just like that. There's a, one of Robert E. Lee's slaves was a guy named Mac. They call him Mac Lee. Robert E. Lee gave Mac his freedom. Robert E. Lee paid for Mac to get educated and when Robert E. Lee died he left Mac a lot of money and Mac became a preacher and started several Baptist churches and Mac Lee said that Robert E. Lee was the greatest man he ever knew but the idea here is is that as a a slave we don't have to serve the Lord I don't want to be a Christian because then you have to no no we don't have to but we have to in other words we're not we don't have to. There's nothing on paper says we have to. But there's something inside our heart that says we have to. Well, I would never want to go to that church and do all that stuff because you've got to do this, this, and that. Well, maybe you would. But you know what? I go because I want to. And I serve because I want to. And I love the Lord because I want to because he paid for my sin and saved me from being auctioned off to that filthy, wicked devil. We have a freedom. And because of that freedom, we use it Just like Jesus did. Was Jesus free before he died on the cross? What did Jesus do with his freedom? He set it aside to die for us. We have a freedom to be used for his honor and glory. Our lives aren't our own. We're bought with a price. And yet we are free. And so with grateful hearts, we have eternal life. And with that eternal life, we serve him. And so it says in Galatians 6, whatever you reap, you'll sow. Excuse me, whatever you sow, you'll reap. And verse 8 says, He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. See, as a Christian, you can waste your time and sow to things that will never matter. But if you are a Christian that is using the time that God's given you and the body that God's given you for the right things, you will reap life Everlasting. Years ago, when I first started pastoring this church, years ago, 18, 19 years ago, and I was still living in Newcastle, and I was leaving Newcastle, and I was just about to head to this four-way stop sign and then go on towards Custer, and I was pulling out of the driveway of a hospital after I'd made a visit at the hospital, and just as I was starting to make the turn, the Holy Spirit of God said, Don't forget J.D. Oh, J.D. J.D. was my buddy from my school bus driving days. J.D. was a Mormon an old crusty mormon but a fun loving guy and i jd and i we enjoyed each other's company and he'd tease me about stuff in fact i was trying so hard to get on as a as a regular bus driver in newcastle and they wouldn't hire me they let me be a sub but they wouldn't hire me and and, and he knew it and i said jd they're letting you drive but they won't let me drive and he'd make fun of me and stuff and and uh and I said something, you know, he, he and I would tease each other. So finally, I said, you know what, if you just kick the bucket, I could have your job. And he went, he just looked at me like, how dare you say such a thing? You're a preacher, you know. And um, so, you know, we, I, and I said, you know, and, and so I said that. I said, if you just, if you just kick the bucket, I'd have your job. Oh, that's a terrible thing to say. Two days later, he had a heart attack and he was in the hospital in Rapid City. Oh, I felt terrible. I went up to see him as soon as ninth floor i got up I got up to the pod there. I walk in as soon as I walked in. He's sitting up in bed he, as soon as I walked in, he said, "Man, you got power <laughs> It's just the way he was he's, a, he's just a nut and uh so then, every time after that, if he'd see me, he'd be like, oh, 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 don't don't curse me, don't zap me with lightning." I was standing in the hardware Hank. Gro- cash register i'm standing right there he walks in the front door and he goes oh in front of everybody it's like oh jd you know but he was such a character but anyway i had heard that he had gotten cancer and he was sick really sick i hadn't seen him for quite a while he was dying i didn't even know for sure where he lived i thought i knew where he lived but i didn't know for sure he was actually staying at his daughter's house, and that morning the Holy Spirit said, "Don't forget J.D." And so I turned my wheel from east back to west into town, went up to where J.D.'s house was, knocked on his daughter's door, and the dog started just barking like crazy. And uh, and then I could hear J.D. Oh, yelling, rah, rah. And he's yelling, and he's and and then I the door opens and it's his daughter, and she's mad because somebody has woke up her dad. And cause these dogs to go crazy. And she opens the door, and she's mad. She looks at me, and she goes, "Are you that minister?" I said, "Yeah." I was just looking for JD. She said, "Come in." And her whole face changed. I went in, sat next to JD in the bed, and I witnessed to him and shared the gospel with him. And uh, and he got saved. And I'll never forget. I'll never forget him praying. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he just prayed, and he got saved. And while he's praying for salvation, his daughter's in the kitchen at the table just weeping. And come to find out that she'd been showing him old Kent Hoban videos and stuff. And and, uh, she said, I was just praying that God would send somebody. And so then a few months later, J.D. died. And they asked me to speak at his funeral at the Mormon Church in Newcastle. The Mormon Church. And I stood inside that Mormon Church building, first time and the only time I've ever been at one, and told that story that I just told to you in a little more detail, and gave the plan of salvation. And JD asked that amazing grace be sung. And you know what? That is reaping what you sowed. Because one day I'm going to see JD in heaven. That, that's sowing to the spirit and reaping eternity, reaping eternal rewards. And we have freedom to do that. We have freedom to serve God. So if somebody says, oh, I would never want to be a Christian because then you wouldn't be free to do what you want. You need to tell them, look, I have freedom to do what I want. I do. But I want to do this. Jehovah's Witnesses aren't free. They've got to do certain things or they're going to lose their status. Catholics aren't free. They've got to do certain things or they're going to lose something. But I'm telling you right now, if you're a Christian, you can't lose it. You can't lose your salvation. Your status is complete with God. And we have a new freedom when we're saved. We have, we have eternal life and it gives us a new creation, a new motive, a new father, a new judgment, a new freedom. And we know that we have eternal life. And that life causes us to give our lives completely back to him. And that is what I guess would say we'll start with our first lesson on eternal life and what great things God gives us through life eternal. Let's finish where we started and we'll close in prayer. 1 John 5. 1 John 5 verse 11. And this is the record that God to given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. This eternal life is not in anything else than the Son. It's not in the church. It's not in the pastor. It's not in anything else. It's in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's salvation when you have Jesus. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And get this. And that you may keep believing on the name of the Son of God. In other words, when you got saved, did you believe on Jesus? Yes. But since you've gotten saved, have you believed more about Jesus than before? Yeah. Because since your salvation, you find out there's all, even more to, to understand and believe and to trust. And so we have this and we can know. These things are written that you may know, not hope so. If someone asks you if you're saved, you ought to be able to say, I know I'm saved. Not because of me, but because of him. And if someone says, well, I don't know for sure if I'm saved, you need to say, look. If you have the son, you have life. And if you don't know, let's talk about it and let's make sure of your salvation. But can someone take your salvation away? Absolutely not. Can you lose it yourself and blow it yourself? Absolutely not. Once you have the son, you have life eternal. What will he do if you have eternal life and you start to go wayward and do your own thing? What will he do? He'll spank you. That's what a father will do. And he might let you go for a while, but he'll get after you. Why? Because that's what a father does. And eternal life is a present possession. We can have it, and we can live free and, and uh, knowing that we are saved for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for eternal life. Thank you that it is a present possession. Thank you that it is not something we have to hope for. It's not something we have to keep working for or striving for or checking boxes off. It's just eternal and thank you that you give us with this eternal life the opportunity to reap eternal rewards, like witnessing to our friends like JD and others. Help us to realize the potential and the importance of living for eternal values and not temporary values. With eternal values in view, Lord, help us to realize that our eternal life gives us opportunity to serve and to work for eternal things. Thank you for your eternal. Godhood. Thank you that you are everlasting. Thank you that you are forever and that you have given and granted us who are saved eternal life. Thank you, God, for your security. In Jesus' name, amen. Good to see Aaron out there. Haven't seen Aaron for quite a while. Come on in, Aaron.